Okay, well, most of us are done. If you're still um, continuing for yourself, that's okay. So uh, now that you've completed that, I'm going to invite you to think about that stress again and notice how you feel. And um, on a scale of 0 to 10, rate how you feel in relation to that stress now, with 10 being if you're really stressed by it, and 0, you don't feel any stress. And uh, how many people here feel um, more ease or less stress than they did before when they think about that situation? Okay, so just about everybody raised their hand. And um, just as sort of a sample of how people um, feel differently about this, I'm just going to walk around the room and let people say into the podcast mic um, what the number was before and what the number is now. So if it, originally your stress was like an 8 and you're down to a 4, just say 8 and 4. So um, is that okay with everybody? You don't have to tell us any other details about it if you don't want. Okay. A six and a four. Five, three. Five, one. Seven, four. Seven, three. Seven, four. Three, one. Seven, four. Four, four. Okay, it sounds like the score of a lot of baseball games with a tie one at the end. <laughs> All right. So it just gives you an idea of what people can do with this. Because it only took a minute. Now imagine if you were to spend one minute a day for the next <coughs> month and getting a single stress in your life reduced every day, how you'd feel in a, in a month from now. You'd probably have a lot more ease in your life and a lot less stress at a lot of levels. It's a really simple technique um, that can really make a difference. And you can also use it on your animals. The spots that you were holding on the forehead is um, called the emotional stress release, um, and it relates to a series of reflex points originally um, mapped out by Dr. Bennett in the 1930s. And when you hold these points on your forehead, most of us have heard about the fight-or-flight response, right? When the fight-or-flight response happens, when you're stressed, there's a lot of physiological changes that happen in your body. One is adrenaline gets pumped into the bloodstream, which most people think about. Blood flow in your body also changes from the inner organs more to the limbs so that you can run or fight. Blood flow in the brain also changes more from the forebrain to the back brain, where your instinctive reactive nature is. And the frontal part of the brain sort of shuts down somewhat. And that's the part of your mind that can think through new options, um, isn't overwhelmed emotionally, uh, has the ability to uh, make new associations, uh, and do critical kind of choice making. And when you hold here on the front of your forehead, it helps to bring the blood flow back into the forebrain and activate the forebrain so that your mind can respond in new and creative ways to whatever it was that was causing you to have a stress response before. And so it's a really powerful thing that you can use. And I've seen people sometimes go from, you know, as much as a 10 down to a zero in a short period of time. Um, so does that seem like a pretty... Simple and useful thing? Yeah. Now, the thing we did, I had you think about the movie, but you can just try it sometime when you're feeling stressed just to hold there and just think about the stress. And you'll notice once you understand this that people do this intuitively a lot. If you watch the news when people are stressed, you'll see them on the news with their hand on their forehead. So, uh, and you can use it on your pets. You can hold here on the forehead of your dog or cat or other kind of animal. Now, if you're out in the woods being attacked by a wild bear, I'm not so sure it would work if you, you know, but within a certain amount of reason, you can use it on um, pets and animals. So any questions about that? 
Okay. Um, I'm actually not sure how long I've been talking. 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Okay. Um, so does anybody have a question about uh, kinesiology or working with animals or anything like that that they'd like to ask? What did you do with the horses? What did I do with the horses today? Um, in the class that I taught today, I taught the students in the class how to do muscle testing. And um, then I taught them a number of techniques that they could use with horses. And uh, some of those included how you could test for like nutrition, which you can teach how you can test for nutrition that either um, strengthens energetically the system or finding out things that energetically are challenging for the system. And you can do that with a horse or a dog or a cat. Uh, I taught them how to do some things like the thing we just learned, the emotional stress release. Uh, I taught them a more detailed version of that called working with the neurovascular points. Um, I taught them something called emotional freedom technique. How many people here have heard of EFT, emotional freedom technique? No one in this room, one person. It's a very cool um, technique. It's not very complicated to learn, and it's really amazing for overcoming stresses and phobias and things like that. And, um, and then I taught them how to do some work using um, the acupuncture meridian system and, um, and some other energy techniques. And uh, I actually had a long list of things to teach, and we didn't quite get all the way through it. Um, so they told me next time I do it, maybe it should be a two-day class. But class went really well. They really got a lot out of it. Um, yes? Larry, you talked a little bit about food allergies. The one time I've had, a few times I've had kinesiology, was with my chiropractor, and he put a tablet of uh, saccharin or pumpkin or something and then test my muscles. So could you talk about what was going on with that? Okay, so the question is, could I talk about food allergies and that when you went to a chiropractor, he would have you hold um, some different substances to find out if your body had an allergic response to it? Okay, so um, this is a pretty common thing that people in kinesiology do, particularly chiropractors. And a lot of times they'll have their business set up to f have a lot of focus on helping people clear up these things. So what we say is that um, with muscle testing, you can find out what's causing stress to the system. So, you know, we, I had somebody come up and I had her think about something stressful and it changed the response of the arm. And what we have found in kinesiology is that you can do the same thing with different kinds of foods or different substances. And even sometimes, you know, it might be the clothing you wear. You know, if you have an allergy to wearing wool or synthetics or things like that or grass or pollen. And so there are different ways that people um, test for allergy response. And with muscle testing, you can um, often identify very in detail the specific thing that somebody's having a hard time with. So somebody might come in and say, you know, I'm having a lot of bloating and gas and having a difficulty with digestion. And a person who's set up to do this in their practice might say, well, why don't we test through all the commonly eaten foods? So they'd have maybe a little bit of wheat and a little bit of corn and a little bit of sugar. And the sort of more common things like those that a lot of people have um, a sensitivity or a hard time with, but then also maybe a lot of other things that are not quite as common. Or they might ask you to bring in anything that you suspect you're having a hard time with. And then you have the person hold it. Now, in the field of kinesiology, there's a bit of um, debate about what's the best way to test foods. Some people say you have to put the food in the mouth. It has to um, be mediated biochemically with the system so that it gets into the brain to get the clearest results. 
Other people say, well, it's not such a good idea to put a food in the mouth if you have an allergy to it, and you can just hold the food in your field. Hold it next to the parotid gland, hold it next to the uh, thymus, hold it in your hand, and that works just as well. And a few people will even say, you don't have to do that, all you have to do is think about the food. So there are people in the field who are really um, big-time trainers and have been doing it a long time who don't all agree with each other about what's the optimal way to do that testing. But no matter what kind of testing people do, they usually find the thing that works for them. So you can test for different foods like that that are causing the system to have a hard time tolerating it. There's also um, a number of really interesting things that you can do if you find something you're having a hard time with where you can learn to desensitize the system, retrain the system so that something it's been eating, let's say corn, that it's been having a hard time tolerating. And every time you eat corn, there's a reaction in the body that's not really what you want. You can learn ways to reset the system so that it no longer sees corn as a problem and you'll find that you'll able to eat corn again. Now, sometimes you can do that successfully and sometimes you can't. Um, and it just sort of depends on each individual person. Um, you know, I, I know stories about people who wanted to let go of something, wanted to sort of desensitize around something, and some things worked and some things didn't. Some things they could do now and some things they had to work over a period of time till their body could tolerate. Uh, some things they could just never get it to to work. So we're all very unique like that. And, um, and there's different approaches that have been developed um, on how you can do that. Uh, one that's become fairly well known is um, Numbrutapod's allergy elimination technique, also known as NAET or NATE. So anybody here heard of that or tried that or seen it? So one person. Um, the woman who developed this had severe allergies for years to a certain point where she could only eat brown rice and broccoli. And um, and she figured out a way to work with primarily the meridian system of acupuncture, but without needles, to reset her body. And, um, and she has gone on to teach this to thousands of practitioners around the U.S. on how to use this approach. <laughs> it's not the only way to reset the system, uh, but it's one that's um, used by quite a few people and has really um, gotten a broad base of people who work with it. But there's other ways that you can do that kind of stuff also. And, um, and if you're interested in that, um, you know, talk to somebody who has some background and training about how to do it. Um, you know, and also you want to use some good discernment. If you go onto the website for the International College of Applied Kinesiology, so those are the, the training that's given to doctors exclusively, they will tell you on their website that um, muscle testing is one tool to be used in conjunction with other scientific assessments. Um, you know, sometimes somebody discovers muscle testing and they think, oh, this is really a cool thing and I can use it to gather all kinds of information about everything. But I would recommend to people, you want to keep your own discernment, your own common sense. Um, just because somebody pushes on your muscle and it responds a certain way, don't just automatically go out and say, oh, well, I'm going to now turn over my life to this. Um, muscle testing is an art and a science and you want to make sure the person who's testing you has good skill, and uh, and also that um, that they don't have their own agenda that they're pushing, because you can override a test if you want, and um, so you just want to use um, you know good common sense, use your intuition, and you can use muscle testing um, as a way to gather information, but we generally say you don't want to use it to make decisions all by itself, you know so. 
um, you know, my wife tells a story about somebody who came up to her once and said, would you muscle test me? And she said, what do you want to know? And they wanted to know whether they should take a job in Paris, France or not. And she's like, I'm not going to muscle test you for that. You make up your own mind. You know, you can use muscle testing to gather information for yourself, but you don't want to do something, you know, that just seemed too extreme. Okay. Did that answer your question? Okay. I don't completely understand what you're talking about because I haven't had experience with it. Okay. So is muscle testing, you know, so you, as a healthcare practitioner, you use muscle testing to assess the client who comes in that has a complaint about something? Is that what it's used for? Yeah, so the question is, as a healthcare practitioner, I use muscle testing to assess the client who comes in who has a complaint about something. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would use muscle testing to find out where the system is out of balance. Uh -huh. So let's say, for example, you came in and said, I have a low back pain. We might end up testing a bunch of different muscles, and each muscle has its own specific test. And the way you test a muscle is you put it through its range of motion. You put it in con into contraction, if you understand how the muscle works, and push it back through extension. Mm -hmm. And so you test different muscles, and you could find which muscles have integrity and which muscles are having a hard time maintaining their functionality. And then when you find out which muscles are having a hard time maintaining their function, there's a whole series of reflex points that have been mapped out by different practitioners and doctors that you could use. So if, uh, let's say, for example, you're testing the latissimus dorsi muscle, and you, it goes like that, um, and it's not maintaining easily, there's reflex points that you can rub or hold to strengthen that muscle, and one of the ways you strengthen is by strengthening the meridian system from acupuncture that it has a specific relationship with. And then you can go back and retest the muscle. And I'd be happy to sort of show you how that works after we're done with the podcast. But for the purpose of the podcast, it, it wouldn't be very useful because they couldn't see it. But I'd be happy to give you an experience of that afterwards. So for the moment, does that answer the question? Muscle testing also shows stress response in the body. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking of something stressful or focusing on something that potentially... Um, could be a, a source of stress to the body, it can also ch change the indicator muscle. So if your muscle is locking, and then as somebody showed earlier, and they thought of something stressful, it automatically shows a change in the response. So there's other ways of using muscle testing to assess different stress issues in people's lives. So it can be used, as Larry started out the discussion, on the physical level, but also on the, the mental, emotional, and, and potentially even spiritual level. If you're thinking of an attitude that is not serving you, um, it'll show stress response in the body. So it's a, it's a really valuable assessment tool that you can use, but there's also a whole system of kinesiology that gives you techniques of what you can do once you identify where those stresses are, what you can do to change the body's response. We're very fortunate to have some uh, very knowledgeable people in the audience today. <laughs> yeah, you had a question? Yeah, my question was, what are uh, some other conditions for which you can assess a person? Like we talked about allergies, mm -hmm. we talked about uh, stress. So the question is, what kinds of things can you use this to assess? Like we talked about allergies and stress. I'd say just about anything, because we don't work in a medical model where we name diseases. We work in an energy model where what we're doing is rebalancing the person so that their own internal resources can work from the inside out. 
So for example, I had somebody come just a couple days ago and, um, and she didn't know anything about what I did, but somebody had referred her to me. And on the phone, she told me that she has a herniated disc in uh, L4 and L5 in the low back, and then a bulging disc in uh, L2 and L3. And she was having um, pain down one side, of her, one side or both of her legs at night when she sleeps, and pain in her low back. And she said, can you do anything for me? And I said, well, I really can't do anything for the vertebrae that are problematic. I'm not a chiropractor, I'm not an orthopedist. But for the muscles, I can often do a lot of good. And those might help because it would support the system. I can also sometimes do some really good things for pain. And um, so she came to see me. Uh, and again, I told her, like I tell everybody else, I have no idea whether I'm going to be able to help you or not. But I can balance the system to see if it can have its own internal resources take care of whatever's going on. And when she got here, um, what she told me is she has this uh, in her gluteus maximus muscle, the big muscle in your butt. When she goes to sleep at night, it starts to tighten up and get really tight, like your fist is squeezing really tight. And it, it makes it very, and then the pain goes down her leg and it's very hard for her to sleep and she's not getting sleep and she didn't know why it was happening. She'd been taking uh, medication for it. She'd uh, been to a few doctors for it and all they could tell her was to try some medication. She had successfully used acupuncture in the past for some other conditions, but acupuncture didn't seem to be helping this. So she came and um, using muscle testing, we started, um, first I asked her sort of a bunch of questions about what was going on. And, um, and using muscle testing, first we um, set a goal for how she wanted her body to respond. So she, you know, I said to her, how is it, you know, you're telling me what you don't want. You don't want this muscle to um, tighten up at night and keep you awake. but so that's what you don't want, but what is it that you do want? Because part of what we do is we orient the system to move in the direction of where you want it to go rather than focusing on where you don't want to be. And um, so after setting the goal, we did, uh, we work with this idea that when there's a stress in your life, that every stress shows up as sort of an energetic pattern in the body through the acupuncture meridian system and as a neurological um, stress. So if you think about, let's say you have a boss who's really a jerk. Every time you think about that boss, the same thoughts go through your mind. Oh, he didn't give me my Christmas bonus last year, and he's always <laughs> taking money out of the coffee pot, and he's always doing this. And you have the same sort of, your mind goes down the same groove over and over and over again. And so what we say neurologically, a stress shows up as your mind goes down the same groove, and energetically in the meridians, it shows up as a similar pattern. So we set a goal, and we reset the pattern with the meridians using muscle testing, by testing different muscles, working different reflexes. And what we find is when you rebalance the meridians, neurologically people also respond differently. And, um, and then I had her lie down on a table like she would when she's going to go to sleep at night. And what she said is the muscle wasn't tightening up. And I actually had her lie down because after I did that resetting, I wanted to find out if it was still doing that because I was thinking we were going to have to do something more. And I wanted to find out just exactly where it was so that we could go into a more in-depth checking of some other reflexes. But it wasn't happening. And so I said, okay, that's really great, but you know, this isn't at night, this is in the middle of the day. So um, I had her think about when she goes to bed at night and um, what that had been like up till then. 
and I was using another way of sort of accessing information using muscle testing to find some simple reflex points on her head that she could hold if it acted up again. And these reflex points would help to relax that muscle. And, uh, and then when we were done, I said, you know, we're done. And um, the proof's in the pudding when I work with people. So she went home, and, uh, and then I heard back by email in a couple of days um, that it seemed to be working. You know, she'd been sleeping through the night and not having a problem, and that seemed pretty good. So um, we often tell people this work can work at almost any level that you can think of. There's no guarantee that it's going to work for every problem, but we've worked with people structurally, biochemically, emotionally, energetically, with mental issues, with spiritual things. Um, we've worked with all of those levels of kinds of things. And because we don't work in a medical model where you have to diagnose, name a disease, and then come up with a sort of a preset response to how to deal with that disease because it has a specific name, but more in an energy model where you're rebalancing the system so that its own resources can come to the forefront. Um, I often say to people, we can work on anything. I can't promise that we'll get a result, but there's almost nothing that anybody has ever asked me about and said, can you help that? Now, if somebody came to me and they said, like she did originally, like she has two herniated discs, if she came to me and said, can you fix them? I'd say, probably not. But in terms of helping with back pain, maybe. Okay, did that, did that answer your question? Okay. Do you find it easier to analyze and find solutions for animals than you do for humans? Uh, no, actually animals are a little more, cha oh, repeat the question, thank you. Um, the question was, do I find it easier to analyze and find solutions for animals than for humans? Animals are actually a little harder because humans can give me feedback. They can tell me where the pain is. They can tell me what the stress is. So animals are actually more, a bit more challenging than people. But at another level, they're also less complicated. As, um, as the people who um, were in this workshop were telling me about the horses today, um, you know, when a horse is ready to do something, there's not a lot of stuff in their way. You know, like for us, it's like, oh, I want to get better, but if I get better, I lose my disability and my, you know, and, and, and my wife won't make me my favorite desserts anymore. And, you know, and so there's all this stuff in your way about wanting to get better. And um, with animals, often that's like, <clears throat> there's no secondary gains for them a lot of the times. But uh, in some ways that are more challenging just because they can't give me verbal feedback. When you're working with animals and you're getting surrogate feedback, are you yourself the surrogate or are you working through the owner? Okay. And is, and, or can you do it either way? And do you find that you get interference if you have an owner that you're using? Mm -hmm. So the question is when I'm working with animals, do I use um, a surrogate or can I self-surrogate? And if I use a surrogate who's the owner, does that create some sort of interference? Like if they're emotionally attached, is that a problematic? Exactly. Do you get feedback from them yeah. or are you really getting feedback from the pet? Okay. So am I getting feedback from the pet or is it the owner's stuff that's showing up? Um, the one other person I know who regularly works on animals is a friend of ours up in New York named Sue Sines. And every time I get together with her and talk about and sort of compare notes about working on animals, she always says to me, she always comes very close and says in this sort of conspiratorial voice to me, you know, 50% of the time it's the owners who need the balance, not the pets. Yeah. And um, 
So generally, when we teach people how to do this in class, we teach them to do the testing through another person. It could be the owner, but it could be somebody else. If the owner has a high emotional involvement, you know, and they're really kind of stressed, then it might be good to choose somebody else. Um, so we, we often teach people that's how you can do surrogate testing. There's another way that you can do testing that's called self-testing. And I'm a really good self-tester. And so most of the time when I work with pets, I self-test. But a lot of times, in the beginning, I will do a little bit of surrogate testing through the owner just so that they can have the experience of what it's like when different responses are sh showing up. And they have that experience of like, oh, when we did this, it showed up one way, and we did this, it's another. And they can tell for themselves. Um, but I'm a really good self-tester, and I find it's actually quicker for me to work with pets by self-testing. Um, but when I'm teaching people, it I'll often teach, you know, usually we teach people how to do surrogate testing through another person. And self-testing is actually a, a skill unto itself that's a little harder in some ways than testing another person. Because if you're the only one, you have to really get into a neutral place. And if you think about it, you're walking down the street and you see that hot fudge double-decker Sunday, and you self-test yourself, oh, that's good for me, right? <laughs> you know, so you have to be able to get into a really neutral place. And, and it takes some practice to get um, skillful with it. But there are people who are really good at self-testing. It can be done. All right, any other questions? Or? All right, well, thank you all for coming tonight. I think that's the end of the podcast. And um, have a wonderful evening. <laughs>